dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable? Bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of X-1 entitled... Hostess, adapted from a short story by Isaac Asimov. X-1 premiered on NBC April 24, 1955. The first 15 episodes of X-1 reused scripts from Dimension X, a short-lived science fiction anthology from 1950. The rest of the series was comprised of new adaptations of stories by contemporary science fiction authors, as well as original scripts from NBC staff writers Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts. During its three-year run, X-1 produced 126 episodes, including stories from Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, Philip K. Dick, Frederick Pohl, Robert Sheckley, and of course, Isaac Asimov. Hostess was first published in the May 1951 issue of Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine and reprinted in the 1969 collection Nightfall and Other Stories. Isaac Asimov was a professor of biochemistry at Boston University Medical School when he wrote Hostess. One of the only a handful of stories Asimov wrote that focuses heavily on biology, both human and alien. Originally broadcast December 12, 1956, Hostess is also notable for featuring a female protagonist, research biologist Rose Smollett. Something rare for X-1 in particular and science fiction of this era in general. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents X minus one. Tonight, Hostess by Isaac Asimov.
I was so happy about it when I came home, almost triumphant. I dashed in the front door, peeled off my gloves, threw my hat on the side table, and tossed my coat over the back of a chair. Well, you missed supper. Drake, we're going to have him here. Who here? What are you talking about? The doctor from Hawkins Planet. Didn't you realize that was what today's conference was about? When you say the doctor from Hawkins Planet, do you mean the Hawkins site you've got at the Institute? Well, of course. Who else could I possibly mean? May I ask what the devil you mean by saying we'll have him here? Darling, the Hawkinsite would like to stay at a private house somewhere where he won't be bothered with official ceremony, where he'll be able to proceed more according to his own likes and dislikes. I find it quite understandable. Uh, whenever you start using formal sentences, I know you're hiding extreme irritation. Well, you don't seem to be trying to hide it at all. Well, what's the matter? Look, I don't see where we've got room for extraterrestrial visitors. Are you serious? He can stay in the spare room. Honestly, Drake, all we have to do is show a certain amount of adaptability. Sure, just a little adaptability. Mm. The Hawkinsite breathes cyanide. We'll just adapt ourselves to that, I suppose. He carries cyanide in a little cylinder. You won't even notice it. Mm-hmm. And what else is there about them I won't notice? Nothing else. They're perfectly harmless. They're even vegetarians. Well, what about us? Do we eat meat ourselves? Or will that make us look like cannibals to him? I won't live on salads to suit him, I warn you. Drake, it means very much to me. Well, why? Because if he stays here for any length of time, I can study him real closely. Very little work has been done on the biology and psychology of the individual Hawkinsite or of any of the extraterrestrial intelligences. Surely you must see the opportunity. He stays here. We speak to him, watch him, observe his habits. Look, look, I've spoken to men who are in charge of security groups watching various Hawkinsite missions on Earth. The missions stay in the rooms assigned to them. They don't leave for anything but the most important official business. They have nothing to do with Earthmen. It's quite obvious that they... They're as revolted by us as I personally am by them. Drake, he's a doctor. He's coming here for medical research. And I'll grant you that he probably doesn't enjoy staying with human beings and will probably find us perfectly horrible. But he must stay just the same. All right, all right. Have it your own way. You sure you don't want any coffee? No. Drake, you're not angry about this, are you? No. No, I'm not angry. Most of my friends had been surprised when I married Drake because they couldn't understand my marrying a policeman. I explained he wasn't simply a policeman. He was a member of the World Security Board, but most of the staff at the Institute thought it rather odd that I hadn't married a biologist or at least an anthropologist, even a chemist, but certainly not a policeman. I was waiting for Drake with some apprehension that evening as I sat in the living room. Hark Tolan, the Hawkinsite, was standing quietly in the middle of the room. He was not sitting since he was not anatomically constructed to sit. He stood on two sets of limbs placed close together, while a third pair, entirely different in their construction, were suspended from a region that would have been the upper chest in the human being. His skin was hard, glistening, and ridged, and his face wore a distant resemblance to something... Alienly bovine. Mrs. Smollett, you must forgive my English. The construction of my mouth, combined with the absence of incisors and canine teeth, is an obstacle to clear speech. I think you speak very well. Thank you. Uh, my husband will be home soon, and then we'll eat. Your husband? Well, husband? Yes, yes, you know. Mr. Smollett. Oh, a male, of course. You must forgive me, Mrs. Smollett. Perhaps the greatest source of confusion among the five known races of the galaxy lies in the differences among them in regard to their sex life and the social institutions that grow around it. I understand that. 
concept of husband and wife, for instance, exists only on Earth. I can achieve a sort of intellectual understanding of what that means, never an emotional one. Uh, Dr. Tolan, I've consulted the Institute in preparing a menu, and I trust you'll find nothing in it that will upset you. Drake? Drake, is that you? Yeah. I'm in the living room, dear. I suppose he's all delivered completely. Drake, hmm? uh, this oh. is Dr. Hark Tolan of Hawkins Planet. Dr. Tolan, my husband. Well, good evening, Dr. Tolan. Mr. Smollett. Uh, would you care for a drink? I'm not particularly thirsty. On Earth, there is a custom of drinking liquids which have been fortified with ethyl alcohol. We find it stimulating. Oh, yes. I'm afraid, then, that I must decline. Ethyl alcohol would interfere most unpleasantly with my metabolism. Well, so it does to Earthmen, too. But I understand, Dr. Tolan. Uh, would you object to my drinking? Of course not. Good. I need one. A stiff one. He stood at the table. I tried not to look at him as he ate. His wide, lipless mouth split his face alarmingly as he ingested food. And in chewing, his large jaws moved from side to side. There was evidence of his ungulate ancestry. I found myself wondering whether he would chew his cud later, and then I was afraid that Drake would get the same idea and leave the table in disgust. But he was taking everything quite calmly. I imagine, Dr. Tolan, that the uh, cylinder at your side holds cyanide. Quite so. Pure cyanide? I hope you are not considering possible danger. I know the gas is highly poisonous to you, and I do not need a great deal. None of it emerges, except when I actually suck at the tube, which is fixed at the corner of my mouth. I see. And you really must have the gas to live? Are you not a biologist, Mr. Smollett? No, Dr. Tolan. It's merely a minor government official. My wife's friends call me a policeman. Uh, tell me, what happens if you don't breathe cyanide? Do you uh, just go like that? Not quite. The absence of it would be equivalent to uh, slow strangulation. Mm -hmm. It's also very painful, difficult to treat. I've done some research on the problem. I find it difficult to keep thinking of you as a doctor. I understand what you mean. I find it difficult to think of you as a policeman. I gather that you're not here on a pleasure trip. Huh? No. I tend to study this queer planet you call Earth. Queer? In what way? It's always amazing to me to find how little you Earthmen understand your own characteristics. There are five intelligent races in the galaxy. Over and over it is you Earthmen, more than any of the others, who are unique. Your people are the only ones which find hydrogen cyanide poisonous. Yours is the only form of intelligent life which is carnivorous. Yours is the only form of life which has not developed from the grazing animal. And most interesting of all, yours is the only form of intelligent life known which stops growing upon reaching maturity. Well, you don't look very large, Dr. Tolan. I should say that you're an inch taller than I, which would make you six foot two. Are you young or... Are you just small on Hawkins' planet? Neither. We grow at a diminishing rate with the years, so that at my age it would take 15 years to grow an additional inch. But we never entirely stop. And, of course, as a consequence, we never entirely die. Did you hear that, Rose? I never knew that before. You mean people on Hawkins' planet are immortal? 
No people are truly immortal. Few of us live more than several centuries of your time. Still, it is unpleasant to think that death may come involuntarily. It is something which to us is extremely horrible. Oh, we're quite used to it. You Earthmen live with the thought. We do not. This is why we are disturbed to find that the incidence of inhibition death has been increasing in recent years. What is this inhibition death? A pathological cessation of growth. It's a wasting disease. A tragic one. And absolutely incurable. It is fatal within a year. What causes it? Mr. Smollett, we know nothing about the cause of the disease. Well, then why did you come to Earth to study it? Because, again, Earthmen are unique. They are the only intelligent beings who are immune. The inhibition death affects all other races, while Earthmen are immune. Somewhere in the biochemistry of the Earthite, there is the secret of that immunity. How interesting it would be to find it. Well, now, look here. You can't say that Earthmen are immune. From where I sit, it looks as if the incidence is 100%. All Earthmen stop growing and all Earthmen die. We've all got the inhibition death. Earthmen live up to 70 years after the cessation of growth. That is not death as we know it. Your equivalent disease is rather one of unrestrained growth. Cancer, you call it. Drake was being pleasant to Dr. Tolan. I wasn't sure whether it was for my sake or for his own. Drake has never gone out of his way to please me. Sometimes when I'm gloomy, I look at him across the table and ask myself, why did he marry me? Then suddenly after dinner in the living room, Dr. Tolan asked a question which surprised me. You are a policeman, Mr. Smollett? Yes. I wonder... Could you show me through one of the police departments on your planet? Well, I don't belong to a police department in exactly the way you imagine. However, I have some contacts in the New York City Department. Would I be able to visit the Missing Persons Bureau? Why are you interested in the Missing Persons Bureau? Because there again, you are unique. There's no such thing as a missing person on our planet. We're always aware of each other's exact location no matter where on the planet we might be. Can you feel such awareness even now, on Earth? You mean across space? No, I'm afraid not. But you see the importance of the matter. All the uniqueness of Earth should be linked. If the lack of this sense can be explained, perhaps the immunity to inhibition death can be also. Tell me truthfully, Mr. Smollett, if Mrs. Smollett were to leave this room and enter another without your having seen her do so, would you really not be aware of her location? I really would not. Amazing. Please do not be offended by the fact that I find it revolting as well. were you talking about the inhibition death to Dr. Tolan? I'm taking an interest in your work, Rose. You've always wanted me to take an interest. I'd rather you weren't sarcastic. Rose, I'm tired. I'll talk to you tomorrow. No, right now. I want no questions from you and no interference. 
You do your job and I'll do mine. The nature of my job is open and known. The nature of my job isn't, by definition, but I'll tell you this. Our six-legged friend is here in this house for some definite reason. You weren't picked as biologist in charge for any random reason. Two days ago, he'd been inquiring about me at the commission. But that's my job, and I won't discuss it with you any further. Do you understand? No. But I won't question you if you don't want me to. All right, then go to sleep. I lay stiffly on my back, and the minutes passed and the quarter hours. I was trying to fit the pieces together. One picture remained clear in my mind. It hovered over me mockingly. At the end of the evening, the Hawkinsite had turned to me just before he left the room. Good night, Mrs. Smollett. You're a most charming hostess. I wanted to giggle then. How could he call me a charming hostess? To him, I must have been a horror, a monstrosity with too few limbs and too narrow a face. But then I saw Drake... He turned white. For one instant, his eyes had burned with something that looked like terror. I'd never before known Drake to show fear of anything. And the picture of that instant of pure panic remained with me. Until all my thoughts finally sagged into the oblivion of sleep. I remember one question that nagged at me through the haze. Why did he marry me? I found your Missing Persons Bureau interesting in that the large majority of missing persons are males. Oh, well, that's not mysterious, Dr. Tolan. You simply didn't realize the economic setup we have on Earth. My wife is an example of the minority of women who are capable of making their own way in the world. Would you call the Missing Persons Bureau of New York a fair sampling of such cases in the uh, planet at large? Yes, I should think so. Is there then an economic explanation for the fact that since interstellar travel has been developed, the percentage of young males among the missing is more pronounced than ever. Well, that's even less of a mystery than the other. Nowadays, a runaway can hop the nearest space freighter. They're always looking for crewmen. No questions asked. It's almost always young men. Their first year of marriage? Well, that's just the time a man's troubles seem the greatest. If he survives the first year, there's usually no need to disappear at all. Would it offend you if I disconnected for a period of time? Disconnected? It's like sleep. Oh. I hope you haven't had too exhausting a day. It's just that I've been absorbing so many new and unusual concepts that I feel a desire for a little disconnection. Drake, we've been sitting here for ten minutes. Aren't you going to speak to me? About what? Last night you said you'd speak to me tomorrow. Well, I'm ready now. I thought it was agreed that you wouldn't question me about my business in this matter. I think it's too late for that. I know too much about your business by now. What? What do you mean? Drake, let go of my arm. What are you talking about? Dr. Tolan thinks that Earth is spreading the inhibition death purposely. That's it, isn't it? Where did you get that idea? It's true, isn't it? I want to know exactly why you say that. Don't play games with me, Rose. This is for Keith. Why don't you ask Dr. Tolan? He's an outstanding worker in the field. I looked over his papers this afternoon. And what are his theories about the origin of the disease? Try to remember, Rose. I... I think he blames Earth, but I think he admits they know nothing about how the disease is spread. Well, I'll find out about this right now. Drake, what are you going to do? What's that? It's my gun. 
I'm going to ask him a few questions. He ran out of the bedroom, down the corridor, towards Dr. Tolan's room. I ran after him, caught him just as he entered the door. The Hawkinsite was standing there, motionless, his eyes unfocused, his four standing limbs sprawled out in four directions as far as they would go. Now keep quiet. He'll gradually become aware of me. Get out of here. No, Drake. What are you doing? Quiet. There, you see? The skin on his face is beginning to quiver. Well, that's about all, Dr. Tolan. Don't throw in connection with any of the limbs. Your sense organs and the voice box will be quite enough. Why do you invade my disconnection chamber? And why are you armed? What do you want? The answer to certain questions. With a gun in your hand? Sorry, Mr. Smollett, that the duties toward a guest are so badly understood on Earth. You're no guest of mine, Dr. Tolan. You entered my home under false pretenses. You had better shoot. It will save time. You are convinced that you'll answer no questions? Now, that in itself is suspicious. It seems that you consider certain answers to be more important than your life. I consider the principle of courtesy to be very important. You as an Earthman may not understand. Perhaps not. But I can't understand one thing. Your cyanide cylinder. Suppose I... Pull it out of your mouth. Rose, hold your breath until I close the valve. There. All right, Tolan. You realize what will happen to you if you don't answer the questions I'm going to ask you. Cyanide lack. It would be a most uncomfortable death. I'm only an Earthman. I can't appreciate its true horrors, but you can, can't you? Drake, give him the cylinder. Give it back to him. You have about one hour, I think, until the effects are irreversible. Talk quickly, Dr. Tolan. You'll have your cyanide cylinder back. What are your questions? What are your theories concerning the inhibition death? Why did you really come to Earth? What is your interest in the missing persons bureau? For years, I have been investigating the cell structure of my patients suffering from inhibition death. I've been forced to use the utmost secrecy, since the methods I used were frowned on by my people. Your society would have similar feelings against human vivisection, for instance. For this reason, I could not present the results I obtained to my fellow physicians until I had verified my theories here on Earth. And what are they? The inhibition death is entirely... A disease of the mind. You mean it's psychosomatic? No, Miss Smollett, it is not psychosomatic. It is a true disease of the mind, a mental infection. My patients had double minds. Beyond and beneath the one that obviously belonged to them, there was evidence of another one, an alien mind. In short, there are not only five intelligences in the galaxy, but six and the sixth is parasitic. This is impossible. You must be mistaken, Dr. Tom. No, I'm not mistaken. One can imagine such a parasite through the course of millions of years, perhaps losing all portions of its physical being. It will become nothing but pure mind, living in some mental fashion we cannot conceive of on the minds of others, particularly on the minds of Earthmen. Why particularly Earthmen? Have you not surmised that the sixth intelligence is a native of Earth? Mankind from the beginning has lived with it, has adapted to it, is unconscious of it. It is why the higher species of terrestrial animals, including man, do not grow after maturity and eventually die. And it is what is called natural death. 
It is the result of this universal parasitic infestation. Where Earthmen could survive the infection for decades with little harm, we others die a quick death within a year. Give me back my cylinder. You have your answer. What about the missing persons bureau? Drake, look at his eyes. Give it back to him. As we are not well adapted to the intelligence that infests man, neither is it well adapted to us. It can live on us, but it cannot reproduce with ourselves alone as the source of its life. The inhibition death is therefore not directly contagious among our people. What are you implying, Dr. Tolan? The Earthman remains the prime host for the parasite, and an Earthman may infect one of us if he remains among us. But the parasite, once it is located in an intelligence of the outer worlds, must somehow return to an Earthman if it expects to reproduce. We are infected and reinfected as the parasites return to Earth and come back to us via the mind of Earthmen who travel through space. And the missing persons? Are the intermediate hosts. The masculine terrestrial mind seems better suited for their purpose. But once reproduction has been taken care of, the infested male leaves by spaceship for the outer worlds. He disappears. But this is impossible. What you say implies that the parasite mind can control the actions of its host. That can't be, or we would have noticed their presence here on Earth. The control may be very subtle. and may, moreover, be exerted only during the period of active reproduction. I simply point to your missing persons bureau. Why do the young men disappear? I'm quite ill now, cyanide lack, and I cannot speak much longer. And you alone, of all your people, have any knowledge of this theory of yours? I alone. You will give me back my cyanide cylinder now. I have become quite weak. Sure. Sure, Dr. Tolan. Rose. No, no. Rose, come out of here. Come on now. Come on. He's dead. He's dead, you shark. Outside. Out. Quiet, Rose. Quiet. I told you to have nothing to do with this. Let me go. I want to go away. I want to go away. Why? Because of something it was my job to do? You heard what that creature was saying? You suppose I could allow him to return to his world and spread those lies? They'd believe him. What do you think would happen then? They would have to kill us all to stop that disease. What he said wasn't a lie. It was true. Oh, come on now. You're hysterical. You need sleep. I know what he said was true because the Security Commission knows all about the same theory and knows it's true. Why do you say a thing like that? Because you let it slip yourself. Now, now sit down. Sit down. Well, so I gave myself away, did I? When? You turned white when Hark Tolan referred to me as a charming hostess. Hostess has a double meaning, Drake. A host is one who harbors a parasite. Well, I had no idea I was so transparent. Look, Rose, I've done my best to keep you out of this. The truth can't be held down forever. Somebody else will find out. You can't kill them all. We know that, too. We have no choice. Why? Why can't we combine with the other intelligences and wipe out the parasite? No, no, you, you don't understand. Hark Tolan was right. Man and his prehistoric ancestors have been living with this parasitic intelligence for uncounted ages. We've not only become adapted to it, we've become dependent on it. It is no longer a case of parasitism. It's a case of mutual cooperation. You biologists have a name for it. What are you talking about? 
Symbiosis? Yes, exactly. We have a disease of our own, remember? It is a reverse disease, one of unrestrained growth. We've mentioned it already as a contrast to inhibition death. It's all very well to say that if we could remove the parasite, we would have eternal growth in life, but it's impossible for us. If for any reason the parasitic intelligence, as Hark Tolan calls it, does leave the human body, or if its relationship to the human mind is in any way impaired, growth does take place, but not in an orderly fashion. We call the growth cancer, and there you have it. There's no way of getting rid of the parasite. We're together for all eternity. To get rid of their inhibition death, extraterrestrials must first wipe out all vertebrate life on Earth. There is no other solution for them. So we must keep knowledge of it from them. Now do you understand? He got the body out of the apartment. I sat there numbly. He lied to me. Cancer could not be a disease that was an expression of lost ability for normal growth. Cancer attacked children while they were still growing. It could even attack embryonic tissue. Cancer had nothing to do with the presence or absence of normal growth. Its absence would not cause cancer. Drake lied, but no one would believe me. The young men who disappeared were usually in the first year of their marriage. Whatever the process of reproduction of the parasite intelligence was, it must involve close association with another parasite. The type of close and continuous association, as in the case of newly married couples... The parasite could control actions. I'd report them both, Drake Smollett and Hark Tolan, to the Missing Persons Bureau. But they'd never find them, for they'd be out in space. I wanted to weep, but I couldn't. I was dry-eyed, and it was painful. I'd looked for the answers to so many questions, and I'd found them all. I even found the answer to the question I thought had no bearing on the subject. I finally learned why Drake had married me. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was an NBC Radio Network production. listening to the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. That was episode of X-1 called The Host. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was Joshua's pick this mm-hmm. week. And Joshua, uh, I would paraphrase uh, this as, guess who's coming to dinner space age style. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us about, I, we're all, I don't know about Tim actually, but I know you and I, Joshua, are mm-hmm. big X minus one fans. Yep. Are you a fan of X minus one? I have, don't know it very well. And uh, I have not heard this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love X minus one. So tell me how you came about choosing this one out of the hundred or so that you could possibly choose from. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I had a, a X minus one cassette box set that <laughs> yeah, I got right for on. Christmas. Uh, and it was the first time I heard of X minus one. Uh, and Hostess was on this set. I, I was really struck by it at the time. To me, this is kind of existential horror. 
the big reveal at the end, this idea that y- y- there is something controlling you, this idea that your actions are not your own, that was sort of a, a big, scary idea to me. And so I liked it for that. I also like that it's sort of a puzzle mystery story. It's really 30 minutes of exposition that I think is really done well, in my opinion, um, because of the way it lays out the information, even though really it's just people talking. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, so that's really captivating to me. And I really like the big shock at the end. I really, the Foley's great. That gunshot is so loud when, yeah. when Drake just. Two shots. Yep. Shoots him dead. That is a shocking moment to me. And it, it all comes together really nicely. It's interesting you say how much exposition and you found that suspenseful and wonderful and you know and i have my note of there's a lot of exposition <laughs> you know i find this dreadful and appalling not dreadful and appalling <laughs> but it's interesting that the, the two different takes on it my note was a uh, lot of explaining of a theory mm-hmm. and not as much action as it is they were hammering out the theory mm-hmm do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. What I find appealing is they're hammering out this theory and, and debating it and, and putting out little pieces of the, of the mm-hmm. puzzle is this world that Asimov and the people who produce this radio version of the story are able to create where it all seems so plausible in every day, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love the opening conversation, which is super domestic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying things like, well, this alien breathes cyanide. Can I have some more coffee, please? I yes. mean, like it, it has this really mundane quality, which I think is, is a really nice piece of writing when when you need to be put in this place where you're living on an earth in this far flung future where there are five other sentient species out there. And this is sort of just everyday mm-hmm. stuff to these two. That's uh, uh, actually uh, mm-hmm. one of the things about the story that I think is highly skillful and not necessarily obvious is how well it moves your sympathies around. Mm-hmm. Um, the, of starting with how weird and alien and dangerous this thing is, and then you slowly grow to like, well, it seems reasonable. It seems all right. But then you find out he's a vivisectionist, essentially, on his <laughs> planet, right? The the Hawk site. Yeah, at yeah. the end when he's being interrogated, he says the reason he hasn't shared his theories is that he got them in this uh, morally dubious mm-hmm. way in which he studied people who had been suffering from this inhibition death. So mm-hmm. it was a, an interesting twist there again where you're yeah. like, oh, it's, is he sort of the Dr. Mengele of weird cow alien people? Unglimpse. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How did you picture uh... – What's the alien's name again? Uh, Hawkinside. It's uh, his name is Steve Was Tholen. It Steve? Yeah, Steve Tholen. <laughs> Steve Tholen. Bob. Bob. Uh, well, how did you picture him, Tim? How do you see him with their description and everything? It's there's like two images that sort of keep bumping into each other because they were so specific about how cow-like he was, of a sort of were cow kind of mm-hmm. vision. Mm-hmm. And I can't even remember what monster, but because I've played so much Dungeons and Dragons, I have all these images from the monster manuals and fiend folios, these illustrations of various uh, fantastical monsters. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did not play no, Dungeons I and Dragons. Um, of, of some sort of, it, it, the specific way they mentioned that his arms sort of, his front, uh, front legs protruded out of his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, that corresponds to some illustration in there that's weird and kind of catfish-like, but not right. doesn't fit the description, but is what is the image in my head. Yeah, yeah he was not constructed to sit, they yes. say, which is kind of disconcerting. What, what did you picture? 
pretty much what they say. I think they do yeah. a great job describing it. He's got six legs yeah, and he's got this sort of hard skin, but with ridges, mm-hmm. yet he's bovine. Um, and I love the bit where he says, you know, because of the construction of his teeth and mouth, he has a hard time with English. And it's just sort mm-hmm. of uh, Asimov takes a lot of time considering his alien. Couldn't get Jabba the Hutt out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they said cow over and over mm-hmm. again and chewing his cud. Yep. And here's right. And here's the deal uh, about the description you were just talking about. I thought it was wonderful. I love the time they took to describe him and things like he can't sit and the you know all of those descriptors of him. I thought were fantastic, and I loved that writing of this. Uh, and let us uh, focus. But again, I don't know why my brain went, and it looks like Jabba the Hutt. And I'm like, oh, thanks, brain. <laughs> that was... Because the, even in the story, um, we're so sort of blatant and on the nose about called you a hostess because we're referring to having an alien in your body and, and making that really clear right. that we're doing this. But it was still sort of graceful of that they take the time to describe this creature in, and it is so strange and alien to our ears and try uh, the struggle to try to picture it correctly that it is that same sort of disconnect and discomfort of that thought of there's an alien in our heads and in all of our heads who has been controlling us <laughs> yes we mm-hmm. have so uh what are some of the the things that you love the most about this joshua the layers or the moments or the I think it's that that horror at the end. And to me, it, it may not strike other people that way. It has that, like I said, existential horror of that you are not in control. Well, Herc Rose's question the whole time is why why did he marry me? Right. right. That it was just the, the two parasites in their head that need some sort of proximity in order to mate. <laughs> and then um, they take off into space to spread this inhibition death. And um, Yeah, the moral is... Uh... Beware of marriage. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, it was fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know how much of this was talked about or discussed in the time that Isaac Asimov was studying biology or chemistry, but this idea that aging and death is not necessarily inherent to human existence, that right. it might be just be a cellular condition that with a little bit of treatment could be fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. Sorry, I was having a little ethyl alcohol, and I wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> Listening. Well, we humans like ethyl alcohol. I like that's another thing I love about and it. I'm also going to have a disconnection right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, this sort of weird line that they they played with Drake, where he seemed tense, kind of this tense '50s husband, and and it moved really quickly from social tension is in like, I don't want this stupid alien in my house. Am I going to not be able to eat hamburger because this cow is here to that? There was something really weird going on with his work and that there was some secret mission. And so that, that sort of blended really well. I don't know if I found it scary or suspenseful. That's really not the point of my enjoyment though of this. Mm -hmm. And I know that we focus on that a lot here. Like what does it stand the test of time? Were you scared? Was this, Here's the deal with X minus one. It's always, and it's Asimov. So yeah, it's always well-written and Asimov's a superior, amazing writer. This is really well-written. It's really well-directed, really well-acted. It's really a fun listen, this whole episode. But uh, did you find it suspenseful or scary? Like I said, I found it suspenseful in the way the information was slowly pieced together. Okay, yeah, all right. Like Mm -hmm. I said, that that sort of pullback and 
reveal of the entire species under control of something else right. at the very end. And that's different from it being scary throughout. It leaves you with this unsettling note. Not that you feel that unsettling note all the way through. Right. You know, you know what well, I mean? Yeah, I, Absolutely. I think that that's the the exceptionally skillful part of this story is that reveal of there's an alien inside of you is shown throughout the story. That's why it seems so f- familiar as it's echoed mm-hmm. when you when it's finally revealed like, oh, that's exactly what I've been watching or listening to in this case this yeah. whole time. And they do that nice double layer where Drake tries to cover up at the end, and it makes sense mm-hmm. when he's talking about, well, we couldn't ever separate yeah. from the parasite because then cancer would immediately kill us. And I'm listening to him going, oh, that makes sense. The inhibition death is keeping cancer at bay. Well, that, maybe Drake's the good guy. <laughs> and then just seconds later, we go into Rose's head, and she goes, he's lying. Cancer hits yeah. kids when they're still growing right yeah. this is part of this parasite's evil machinations and lying to mean he's about to go off into space <laughs> so why did he kill him he was under the control of parasite yeah yeah well also the parasite doesn't want um this theory to get out there to the other it's more uh, that, the other yeah. races because i mean they right. say it blatantly in here oh, that they would combine together and wipe out the human race yeah here what you're watching on my face is you know, you guys know me really well. The listeners don't. This is, you know, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter for me. I'm like, what now? <laughs> Wait, how many how many guys with beards are in here? And what what tree talks? That kind of happened to me in the story is that, and, you know, I guess I'm okay to admit that I like simple and things. The over-explanation, the, 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 the exposition, the, the theory of what's – I started – my head started to swim. And that yeah, question yeah. to you right now was very real. Like, oh, wait, that's right. She said that that can't be true. So he was like, so why did he kill him? Is that – There's a lot of information. Conceptually right. thick. It's very <laughs> thick. It's a lot of information. So I think that's what bogged me down from enjoying the story as much mm-hmm. as I could have. Like – and, you know, it, it was the same when I was growing up watching original Star Trek. You know, every time it was something dumb. Could we have some more space battles? <laughs> you know, the Enterprise flying around shooting phasers at other ships. That's all I ever wanted to see. So when it got convoluted into any kind of moral question or theories like this, I would uh, go back to shooting people. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the green ladies? Where Come on. No, that well, wasn't even my deal. Yeah, Fight but, the green lady? Sure. <laughs> Don't it's kiss them. balance of, like, this is a story about a, a strange visitor, uh, like a just a, a foreigner who's staying with you. And that, there's that intrigue, which is familiar. And then there's parasites and brains, and it's that couple of extra layers of parsing mm-hmm. information to get through that is... Yeah. Um, no, it's dense. It I was. totally agree. And I... And, and I Went back and I listened to it twice, and I found myself drifting again because I'm an idiot, you know. And I'm like, uh, and then I just went, you know, it's something about cancer, <laughs> and we need them to not have cancer. No, I think this takes a couple listens. Okay, I, I, yeah, yeah. So I'm not don't a be complete idiot. No, no, no. no. Okay. Like I said, it's there's a lot to unpack. And in this the, story. and the the details are off putting. It is not an in inviting sort of details to to try to take in. I want to I want to picture the alien guy 
and uh, what was the cop's name? Uh, Drake. Drake. Mm-hmm. I want to see. I want to. I want a fight scene with them. You know, like I want stuff <laughs> happening. There's so much exposition, and that's just me. Like I want more yeah. action. So it seems to me that something like this becomes a much better read mm-hmm. than it does a radio show. And they, what's your reaction to that? I think they could have made that choice, uh, but they they kept with the the living room of. Drake and Rose. Like, there is this cutaway where during the day, clearly, uh, the Hawkinsite went to the police station and reviewed the missing person files, but they chose not to go there. Like, right. that that would have broke up the exposition, mm-hmm. for example. And that would have been fun. Yeah. So there's there's a clear choice to make this, this sort of domestic, and I think it's to kind of un- unsettle you, because in that setting... Okay. You you don't know what's going on, but I, I hear you. Like that would have that would have broken up the exposition. It would have added more sound effects. It would have uh, right opened up the world a little bit to get outside of their house. An advantage to the performance aspect of it is um, all the little nuances, especially from Rose and Hawkinsight, getting to know like do they trust each other? These these little interactions that are aren't in the words, but these little imperceptible inflections and things like that. Um, that make a live performance like this superior to a written word. That's that's mm-hmm. the advantage of a performance like this. Right. People learn more about us. I mean, just things like Dungeons and Dragons. It's <laughs> not me making fun of it at all. It's that would be absolutely impossible for me to participate in. <laughs> From oh, the, the amount the gauntlet has been thrown down. <laughs> New podcast. <laughs> teaching Eric to play Dungeons and Dragons. But from the amount of information and concentration oh, yeah. and focus, mm-hmm. just pablum it out for me. You know, just just hand me the information and let me just go on a journey and a ride. <laughs> just let me scream lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah, right? Just, like and we talk about movies, not here, but amongst the three of us, and which is really simple. Like, I can get really frustrated when it gets too complicated. Like, you're either in a car chase scene or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the idea of this alien coming to dinner or staying the week or whatever. Yeah. And I yeah. loved all of that. And I liked the idea a lot that the alien has uh, other motives to being there and, and, and that the cop, I love the twist at the end. I just... It's weirdly uh, like a murder mystery talking. where one race is killing other races. Right. Presented as a murder mystery. Yeah. It really is. That's a good summary. And that's either really exciting to you or boring <laughs> as all hell. But that does make sense, right? Mm-hmm. That it could, depending on who's listening, you understand why it could be boring. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yes, yes. yes. Okay. Totally. Totally. So what's your final verdict, Eric, then? Amazingly, you know, because of how well X-1 is done, and it's always, as I said, written well and well acted and directed and interesting, I was right with it, and I enjoyed it. And I really liked it when the guy talked. (laughs) And I could see him in their living room trying to sit in uncomfortable chairs and eat, like, an olive tray. (laughs) Funny to me. I liked it. I get it. It's not necessarily my cup of tea but i will say this it absolutely as a story stands the test of time i think it's absolutely worth listening to uh but i wouldn't also i would call it more of a interesting story than i would suspenseful or scary yeah i I would say this is not a classic all-time classic of old-time radio it has uh, it has some barriers to it as you just said but i think it, it 
ultimately stands the test of time. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's some antiquated moments. Like, like I mentioned in the opening, Rose is this protagonist, um, and she's the biologist, and people wonder, why did this smart woman marry this dumb policeman? And so that's kind of interesting. But then they do balance it out uh, uh, when Drake gets that dig into the Hawkins site when he says, uh, Rose represents the minority of women who are able to make it on their own in the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a great moment. Uh, I I think this is a classic. It's in many ways it's a classic of science fiction. It's a the classicness of it is is Asimov, um, who really established this kind of hard science science fiction mm-hmm. tradition, and this is a really good adaptation of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So to that degree, I would call it a classic. Well, that about wraps that up. Yep. So we'd like to hear your opinion. Please go to ghoulishdelights.com. Oops, I said You it. said my website. <laughs> what website is it? Ghoulishdelights.com. Yes. And they, <laughs> they can go there and do what, Tim? They can uh, listen to other episodes that we've recorded. They can vote in the polls to let us know what you think of these episodes. Um, you can also learn about our upcoming shows. We'll be performing live old-time radio shows at the James J. Hill Library uh, next one will be January 29th. In St. Paul, Minnesota. Doing recreations of some of the shows. And we'll be, we have a five-month contract, so we'll be doing <laughs> oh, Please show up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll be doing those every, last Sunday of the month, uh, recreating shows that we've done here on this show. Yes. So come on. And then uh, <laughs> we should have a way for people to listen to podcasts when they come out to vote <laughs> instantaneously, instantaneously <laughs> on some giant board in the middle of it. Terrible. <laughs> An alarm goes Classic. Off. It's called staring coldly at us. <laughs> uh, you can also go to iTunes and please write a re- review. If you're enjoying this show, we would love to hear from you. And reviews on iTunes really do help. And thank you to uh, the number of listeners who've already left very kind reviews. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, the next episode is going to be uh, mine, right? Yes. And we're going to be listening to an episode of Creeps by Night, and it's called The Strange Burial of Alexander Jordan. And that's all I'm going to tell you. Until next time. Look out!